a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Oh, yeah, baby. You know, Mitch. We love their Coopers. Mitch Harper. Welcome on in to a new edition of the Cougar Tracks podcast here on KSLSports.com. I'm your BYU insider, Mitch Harper. Always happy to be joined by all of you listening to the show. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, Cougar Tracks is available. A lot to get to on today's show as the Cougars take down the Baylor Bears. It was an eventful one in Provo over the weekend. And quick programming note. So we've been testing the Twitter spaces. And Twitter spaces are gonna, is going to continue in the post game. Had some issues with pulling the audio from Saturday's post game. So unfortunately, that has not been on the podcast feed. My apologies for that. Uh, I will say, too... Going to vet the individuals that hop onto the Twitter spaces a little bit better this time because there were a, a, a there was a person who hopped on and said some choice words and there's no need for that. We need uh, you know clean environment, wholesome football talk. That's what we want on those Twitter spaces. But I wanted to give you that update. I apologize that that was not on the podcast feed. Uh, I feel bad about that because, gosh, that was a fun Twitter spaces podcast. But every Saturday, after the games are over, myself and Matt Biamonte, we will go live on Twitter Spaces, so stay tuned for that in the future. Again, BYU and Baylor. Cougars get it done 26-20 to over the Baylor Bears in double overtime. Great performance from BYU, and it was a great win, a great atmosphere. So much to like from that memorable night in Provo. One of the things that really stood out from that game to me was that BYU is in a golden era of football. I think back to the Bronco Mendenhall years in independence when it was challenging. Uh, You know, recruiting was difficult. Bronco was trying to navigate 
independence as well as possible. It was just difficult. It was a new circumstances, and it was new for everyone involved. And there was this frustration, I think, with, with some of Broncos teams that they couldn't break through in the big games. You think about BYU football now, that is not a narrative that we're talking about with BYU under Kalani Satake. BYU delivers in big games. I've said it before. The issue, I think, sometimes with Kalani's teams is that they sometimes play to the level of their competition. That's great in the big games. It's sometimes bad against far inferior opponents. But they're even rewriting that a bit. I mean, USF in week one, BYU did not play down to the Bulls. They annihilated that team. This is a golden stretch of BYU football, and I think Cougar fans should just genuinely appreciate it. Because the three years since the decade turned, the calendar turned to the 2020s, this has been a fantastic run for BYU football, an incredible run. I mean, you have to go back to the golden age of the 80s, the national championship run, to find three consecutive seasons where BYU had at least one appearance in the top 12 of the top 25 rankings. BYU, after that win over Baylor, now checks into number 12 in the AP Top 25 poll. This is an amazing run. I think Cougar fans should just enjoy the ride. Uh, Not get worried about, are they going to be in the New Year's Six? Are they going to get into the playoff? Look, I I think you can entertain the thought of the New Year's Six if, uh, you know, BYU has a few bounces go their way. They probably still have to run the table, in my opinion, to get to that Cotton Bowl spot. But you can entertain the idea. It's not unreasonable because you look around college football right now and outside of Alabama and Georgia, who's unbeatable? Uh, I, mean, I, I still think Bama's going to be a team that's not going to be messed with very often. I think people are forgetting last year, Alabama had a close call against Florida. How'd that work out for the Gators, who then fired Dan Mullen? But I digress. BYU's in an incredible run right now. And against Baylor, and I don't care how Baylor ends up this season, in that moment, on September 10th, BYU and Baylor squared off in what was one heck of a football game. I mean, that was, I try to not get into hyperbole, and I've had a chance to watch the game a little bit on DVR. I've watched the full thing a couple times. And I got to say, that is the most physical football game that I've watched in my lifetime involving BYU. I would also put the 2009 Oklahoma game up there. That defensive performance was outstanding from BYU in that big win over the Sooners. Big-time performances have to happen in big games, and BYU got that. The defense was lights out. I mean, they had moments where Baylor you know, had some success on the ground, but still... You hold Baylor to 2.9 yards per rush. I mean, Baylor was a team that was just gashing BYU last year. Over 300 yards on the ground. BYU kept them in check for the most part. Second half, there again, there were stretches where Baylor was just turning to the run over and over and over again, and they thought they were going to wear down BYU. But when BYU needed stops on a critical third down in the fourth quarter, in the overtime sessions, BYU's defense always rose to the occasion. Tyler Batty on this podcast, remember he said the defense wanted to make opponents feel the presence of BYU's defense. Baylor clearly felt BYU 
after that game. There's no question about it. And BYU has an incredible leader leading the way in Jaron Hall. And the moment with Jake Oldroyd, the kicker, kind of went viral, that hug afterwards. Jaron Hall is the man. I think you're talking about a guy that's etching his name potentially among the great quarterbacks in BYU football history. If you're in the top 10 quarterbacks at BYU, that's elite company. Top 10 at most schools, it's like, eh, you know, he might have just been okay. Top 10 at BYU, you're an elite quarterback. And I think Jaron Hall is well on his way if he isn't already being one of the top 10 quarterbacks in BYU history. Think about what this guy's doing. He's playing tough schedules, tougher than any schedule that probably any quarterback BYU ever faced before. Like Jim McMahon, we all love the man. Ty Detmer, we all love the man. They were not facing these schedules week in, week out in the regular season. Probably tougher bowl opponents, I will give them that, back in the day. Far better bowl opponents. But the week-in, week-out grind of the schedules that BYU faces today is far more impressive. And Jaron Hall passes with flying colors every single turn. The man is 7-1 against Power 5 teams. <laughs> you, you wish that that man was carrying BYU into the Big 12 Conference. Because he is not phased by anything or anyone. And the physicality of Baylor was a sight to behold. Aaron Roderick on Monday... Said on coordinator's corner, probably the best defensive front he's seen in his 10 to 12 years of coaching. They were legit. I mean, uh, to, to just completely stifle Chris Brooks the way that they did, I was surprised by that. Chris Brooks ends up with 13 carries for 31 yards, 2.4 yards per carry. One thing about Chris Brooks that I will say, maybe needs to be a little bit more shifty at times. You know, Lopini Katoa in moments had some shiftiness, and he got a few extra yards. I mean, still, Lopini only ended up with nine carries for 26. But that that was a tough matchup for BYU on the ground. But the good thing is is that there were still some opportunities through the air. And despite not having Puka Nakua and Gunnar Romney, a star was born in Chase Roberts. Eight catches, 122 yards, and he had 15 targets. Think about that, a redshirt freshman in only his second game as a BYU Cougar. Second game. And he gets 15 targets, and it was not only just a game that against a P5 team, it was a historic win. When you're talking about the first win in Provo against a top 10 team since 1990 Miami. And the guy that's in his second game Put up that stat line. And oh, by the way, he threw a touchdown pass too. Heck of a performance by Chase Roberts. And anyone that's been following this guy closely and were listening to this podcast, you knew Chase Roberts was going to be big time. We just didn't know it was going to be big time in game two. Incredible talent. Chase Roberts coming out of American Fork High School, BYU getting him over Utah was a huge deal. Massive. And then he comes back from the mission last year, was kind of getting back to full health. He was never fully healthy last season, and it limited his opportunities to play. He didn't play at all. He dressed a few times in the month of November and was really making inroads back then on the scout team 
and he was showing the signs, then it carried over into spring ball, and then fall camp, and, and away we go now. I mean, I think we've gotten to a point with this BYU team that when Gunnar Romney comes back to full strength, there's got to be competition where you don't just bench Chase Roberts. Your top three guys are Puka, Chase, and Gunnar, however you want to slice that up. Puka's number one. Uh, but I think Chase Roberts and Gunnar Romney are, are on equal footing now. I believe that. Uh, that performance that Chase Roberts had, you do not mess with that. You keep building on that, and that guy has to continue to get the volume and a lot of snaps because he will be a guy that's around after 2022. He's going to be in those Big 12 battles week in and week out and being the top receiver for BYU. Massive game for Chase. Excited for him, too. He's kind of like the the classic BYU student-athlete. I mean, he, he just got he's got the good looks. He's an LDS guy, return missionary. He, he, he's just got everything that you want in a BYU athlete. And he's going to have a massive career. This guy is a superstar waiting to happen. How he didn't get more offers, too, is beyond me. Under Armour All-American by a vote. I mean, he, he got in to the Under Armour All-America game uh, due to voting, but still he should have been there just by his talent. I mean, he is a incredible receiver. Huge upside for Chase Roberts. I still think Pukunakua is, you know, next in line as far as the best talent that I've ever seen at wide receiver since Austin Colley. Chase Roberts, he's in that next grouping. I, I, I think he might be the guy that's uh, the next big thing for BYU. He's got a lot of potential. Roberts is, is a special talent. It was a great night for BYU. And, you know, it was difficult. And it's it's shocking that they pulled it out, to be quite honest with you, because there was the false start on Blake Freeland. There was the holding penalty on Kingsley Suamata'ia. And you're thinking, this is not typical BYU. This is not their night. They're not going to get it done. When they got the false start on Freeland, I thought, this just feels like it's not going to go BYU's way. And Baylor's going to find a way to win this ball game. But they dug deep. And it's a, remarkable, too, that they won this game despite the missed field goals from Jake Oldroyd. The Jake Oldroyd stuff, it, you know, I, I go back to, in the summertime, Ed Lamb at Media Day, talked to myself and Matt Biamonte, because you got to keep in mind, Oldroyd has always dealt with a lower back injury since, I believe, his first year at BYU. It was a couple weeks after that win over Arizona, he suffered a lower back injury, which caused him to redshirt the entire rest of the season. I think it was the UCLA week of that season, Kalani's first year. And it's been touch and go, the lower back. And going into the season, it was believed that, uh, that like week one, that Jake's fine, everything's okay, everything's all good. But you got to wonder if that has played a role in maybe some of the accuracy issues. And then... Maybe he's dealing with pain. Pair that up with the mental side. Now the confidence is being in question. And those were just some straight-up shanks. And Ed Lamb said today on Coordinator's Corner that Jake's still the best guy for the job. But to me, I think it's going to rest on that first kick, whether it's at Oregon or if it's at against Wyoming. That next field goal might determine where BYU goes moving forward 
with Jake Oldroyd. Because, look, you want it to be Jake and you want him to have success, all that, because you want a great story because he's meant a lot to BYU football. He's been part of key wins for the Cougars. But those misses were devastating, and they were they were missed completely, not even close. Uh, and I think that the tweet that he had was gave some signs of, of confidence. They, it's still there, but, you know, this is one of those deals with kickers. That kind of, sometimes it's like pitchers in baseball where they lose that confidence, and then it's gone, and they never recapture it sometimes. Some do. Some get back into form and, and fall back in line, but others, they're never what they once were. And you hope that's not the case for Old Droid. I, th- I think that the the leadership from Jaron Hall was was impressive, and, and I think that's what speaks to the the level of play in this program and the quality of play in this program is that you got some great leaders in a guy like Jaron Hall, and this was Kalani Satake on that leadership that Jaron displayed with that hug to, to Jake and just the team overall. I don't know if, if I can do it justice by saying how good. His leadership is what the the leadership on our team. You know, when we voted for captains, it was like eight guys got most of the votes, and then another ten got a bunch of votes. And you're sitting there going, "We have a really good leadership on this team and depth." But it also takes um, a good group of young men that are are willing to follow too. You know, and our culture is about truth and and not really worrying about it. you have to be a captain to, to to speak the truth. We you know, if you're a walk-on and you're you're a guy that doesn't even travel, if what you say is true, we listen. And that's part of us being humble and trying to find ways to... Everybody has a, a role on this team, and, you know, I just want them to relish it. And you saw Batty got hurt in the game, and he was one of the biggest cheerleaders on the sideline, right? So that's that's the culture of the team, and that's the leadership on our, in our program. And I, I wish I could say it was all me, but it's it's the players, I get to coach great young men from under uh, just unbelievable families, and uh, man, it's just a lot of fun. And I just sometimes it's just good for me to just get out of the way and let them do their thing. There's a great vibe with this team right now, and that leadership on display from Jaron was was highlighting that. And everyone's going to be supportive of Jake Oldroyd, but that next kick, I think, could be very telling. And if BYU uh, does go away from Oldroyd at some point. Other options include Justin Smith, who has had moments in games, Arizona last year, uh, where Smith had success. Uh, another option is Cash Peterman. Cash Peterman wasn't dressed for the Baylor game. He was in street clothes. He was at the game, uh, but not dressed in game day attire. So something to monitor there. I will be keeping tabs to see if Cash Peterman is dressed up in Eugene. I'll be flying out to, to Eugene on Friday. and will be there for game day when the Cougars take on the Ducks. But... BYU and Baylor, huge win again for the Cougars. And warning to any team that is in a revenge spot against BYU, you might not come out with a win because BYU has shown under Kalani Satake that they are great at getting revenge. Think back to Wisconsin. Uh, You know, there was that test. Well, actually, let me let Kalani Satake tell you BYU, when it comes to revenge games, they're pretty dang good at these spots. I just issued a challenge from last year's team to, to now, and we had a bunch of guys. I'm not going to make excuses, but we had a bunch of guys get hurt, and, and we needed to find ways to get healthy and get bigger and get stronger. And we knew that we would have to um, come back different. Uh, I remember when we played uh, Wisconsin. Well, I can't remember. Mitch, you would know your, your what, what year? 17? Yeah, and they, were phys- they physically beat us up. I said, oh, this is a great opportunity for us to learn. Now we're going to play them again in a year, 
And that was the, the challenge. Let's see what happens in a year from now, how different we can be. And we went up there and beat them. And, and, and I thought we matched their physicality on the field. And um, I wanted to have the same issue, the same challenge for the guys in, in this game. Challenge accepted. BYU listened to Coach Kalani and, and the physicality was questioned last year. No question about the physicality this time around. And Max Tooley, holy cow. You know, Elisa Tuiaki gave the defense, the no-name defense, the defensive MVP. To me, you had to give it to Max Tooley. That man is playing on a different wavelength right now. He's on that ultra-light beam at the moment. 13 tackles. He had a quarterback hurry, seven solo tackles. The thing about Max at the moment, it's just like he's playing like a missile out there. I mean, he is just making guys hurt after those hits. I thought that tackle he had on the Baylor running back who got not, who got uh, banged up from the hit from Thule, I thought that might have been a targeting. Uh, it seemed like maybe BYU got away with it, but at the same time, I thought it was a dang good hit watching it live. It was on the replay where I thought, eh, it's a little bit close. Thule is just playing fantastic football, and it kind of started in that USC game last year, and it's just continued. He has been outstanding. I think that linebacker unit, Thule's playing himself into making some money because you look at the athleticism piece to Thule compared to maybe the Peely and the Wilgar who got the better body types for the NFL. Thule, as far as athleticism goes, he is a, a very good athlete. That's why he was a four-star recruit by some recruiting services coming out of Bountiful High School. Thule's a, a talented player and once was a safety he moved up to the box. They've created a new position for him in this rover, uh, you know, outside linebacker spot. He's flourishing. I mean, he looks great out there. I, I think that he has been hands down through two weeks the most improved player in this BYU football program. Some other guys on the defensive side have also made an impact. Uh, Lorenzo Fawatea, he had a sack. You know, and, and keep in mind, too, how nice is it when BYU does get the sacks? Four sacks on the night, six tackles for loss. I don't care. Uh, you can the debate about are, are sacks important, this and that. The energy that comes from those moments in the stadium, you can't argue what that does to the crowd. Sacks are just an amazing thing when it comes to the atmosphere. It just does a world of good. Thule was great. Ben Bywater, 11 tackles in a sack and a tackle for loss. Ammon Hanneman, uh, he had eight tackles. Just You can go on and on. Tyler Batty got nicked up in, in the first half, and it was interesting. There was a moment in, in the first half, I think it was in the second quarter, where I'm just looking at the tent. Matt Biamonte, who's sitting to my right, he tells me, he's like, who's in that tent? Because usually when I'm in the press box and I see someone go to the sideline, I'm like, okay, binoculars on, I'm zeroing in, what's going on with the injured player here? And I missed that with Batty. He goes into the tent, and he didn't come out until the first half ended, and I could tell when he was walking up the tunnel, he was kind of hunched over a bit, and Preston Hadley was kind of consoling him. He did not return, obviously. Opened the door for a guy like Fisher Jackson to get more playing time. We'll get an update on Batty a little bit later this week here on the podcast as we'll uh, have the check-in with Cougar Tracks with Tyler Batty 
this week on the show. But hopefully, you know, he's doing okay because, you know, he's a big piece for BYU going forward. But the Cougars did not drop off in the production. Uh, they continued to play well, and that was a nice uh, moment for the defense once again. It highlighted the depth that a key guy could go out, and this, and they still performed at a high level. Fisher Jackson said in the post game that they want to, you know, cause some havoc in college football. BYU wants to shake things up a bit in college football and and uh, and, and shake it up because they're tired of the same four teams in the sport. I, I really get the vibe, and I don't, I don't think that I haven't heard this from any of the players, but I just get this vibe from them that they believe they can do something special this year. And you kind of wonder if, you know, is, is it a foolish proposition to believe that because the powers that be in the sport will probably never allow that. But you got to dream, right? You got to start somewhere. And I think these, these guys really do believe that they're capable of winning any game that they step, the field on, uh, step on the field on. And I, I think there's just a lot of confidence at the moment in this BYU football program that I have not seen in a long, long time. I haven't seen BYU football feel like they go into a game where they're down two of their key offensive players and they still feel like, you know what, business as usual, let's go win the ball game. Pretty impressive stuff when you really think about it. I mean, BYU was down their top defensive guy on the, on the defensive line and they were down their two top receivers, still won the ball game against the number nine team in the country. Baylor, I think, I'm curious to see what Baylor ends up being this year. To me, they're going to be, a, I think, a nine-win team. It's very possible that they might be kind of like what Oklahoma was back in 2009. Oklahoma, remember that year, had one of the toughest schedules in college football, and they ended up 8-5, and five, but no one would knock the talent that was on that team. And that's always something that I tell people when it comes to evaluating the quality of the opponent. The talent on Baylor was top-notch. There's so many similarities to BYU and Baylor from the standpoint of under-recruited guys. They get a little bit overlooked, but the player development makes these guys look like they are five-stars when how on, the, how on earth were they two and three-stars coming out of high school? Baylor's a good football team. They just got a gauntlet of a road schedule this season where they have to go on the road to Texas, on the road to Oklahoma. I think they also got a road game at Kansas State, too, this year. Tough, tough schedule for the Bears. So it's possible they end up with eight wins. It could happen. But I still believe they could be one of the best teams in the Big 12 still. That was a good football team, and I think they're going to bounce back this year. I, I still think that probably nine wins, chance for a 10th win in the postseason. A lot of good things came out of that game. And I thought the, the atmosphere was fun too. BYU and Baylor has the makings of being such a fun series uh, because I think it's just kind of like highlighting the spirit of the competition. You know, that, that sounds kind of cliche and tacky. I get that. But it's just like it's not this sideshow antic. It's not this story to the side. It's just the focusing on the quality of play on the field. And, you know, I think that's where there's been some respect with the BYU-Gonzaga series where, you know, Mark Few in basketball said, we want to play BYU still. And Mark Pope has said the same. We want to play Gonzaga when we can. Uh, There's just like a good, healthy respect for what they do on the field or on the courts of play. I think that's the case with Baylor. And I, I just think this is going to be a fun series. There, you got the faith-based component. 
You've got you know private institutions. They've been through a lot. These two schools and Baylor, it, it's they've got their checkered past. Like BYU's had some issues too, no doubt about it. Uh, not that that's like the the unifying piece to all of this, but I just think that there's a lot of similarities between the two uh, football programs, and I just think the the universities are going to collaborate well uh, together in the Big Twelve Conference. And I just think that I don't know if this becomes a rivalry per se, but I think that. What I witnessed Saturday night was a huge, big-time game in college football, and the one in Waco was big-time, too. So you've had two experiences where it's felt like one of the best games on the college football slate that weekend, and that is good for the new Big 12 Conference. And if BYU can continue their level of play and Baylor can continue this run that they're on, that's going to be huge for the new Big 12. And I got to imagine Brett Yormark, who was at the game, had to like what he saw from the crowd, from the energy, from the atmosphere. It was a big-time game. It was huge. And, and I got to give a shout-out before I wrap up the show today. Got to give a shout-out to Cougar Nation. Look, I remember the days. It was about late Croton era, early Bronco era, when there were people on Cougar board that were kind of coming together to try to make a push to wear blue on the st- in the stadium. Because back in the day, in the 90s, in the early 2000s, the stadium was filled with basically Skittle colors. Just, you wore whatever you wanted uh, to the game. It just, it wasn't this big event. Now granted, fan apparel was not as, as, as common Back in those days, it was harder to find things. You didn't have the internet to just order from wherever you were. It was harder to get your hands on fan apparel back in the day. But um, but that was just like 15, 16, 17 years ago where there was a push to try to improve the game day atmosphere and for fans to just simply wear blue. And then you fast forward to Saturday, September 10th, 2022, the whole place is royal blue. It's a rocking atmosphere. The scoreboards are massive. Uh, just Lavelle Edwards Stadium was just on point. And I don't know if it's it's because of more night games. And I think naturally that uh, gets college students more excited. The quality of the opponent was big. But I just think there's something has fl- the switch has flipped. A little bit for The Rock, too. I I felt like there was a few years ago where I was mocking The Rock. Like, hey, downsize The Rock because they're not coming anywhere close to filling it up. I mean, even last year against South Florida, that thing was packed 90 minutes before kick. The Idaho State game was sold out. So it's not just the big games. I just think that suddenly it's clicking that BYU football is a major event. That has finally like clicked for a lot of people because I know you most listeners listening to this show, you know it's a big event. I'm preaching to the choir how game days are sacred. It's, it's a massive deal, BYU football game day. But getting just the mainstream student, getting the casual BYU fan, the casual observer, getting them to realize these games are big-time events, that is finally clicking. And it's causing now 
this situation where you're seeing Lavelle Edwards Stadium be one of the best atmospheres in college football. Marriott Center's always had that for a long time, especially after the Steve Cleveland years when Cleveland really made it a point to get the student section on the baseline and all that. Football, it took a little bit longer because there was a time during the Lavelle years and the Croton years, the student section was in like four different sections around the stadium. It was dumb. So they weren't unified. And there's just been these little pieces, brick by brick, getting the rock, getting kind of changing things up with the enrollment and getting maybe more students that have an intensity, have an, a passion for sports. You're seeing these these changes, and it's creating an atmosphere now where Lavelle Edwards Stadium is the place to be. And if you're a recruit, and BYU got a recruit over the weekend, Siali Acera, a four-star edge linebacker out of Tint View, you can't tell me that that atmosphere that they witnessed, many of these really high-profile recruits witnessed, that's not going to leave an impression, a positive impression, on maybe them saying, this is the standard of what I want to see on a game day from these other schools that I visit. Great job by BYU fans. I mean, look, when I was going to games as a kid, that just wasn't happening. It wasn't. This is not the norm. This is a very new thing. And I think it's a, it's another testament, too, to what I've said before, that you add Power 5 labels to BYU football and BYU basketball, you are going to get an intensity to the level of which you've never seen before. BYU fandom has always been passionate. Always. But now it's got a greater purpose, a greater commitment from people that are already fired up and passionate. It's just... The Big 12, I don't know fully if they realize what they've got. Hopefully they do. Because BYU is ready to awaken uh, at a level that I don't think I've ever seen before. And Saturday night was, was to me, a sneak peek of what that's going to be. And I can't wait to see what the TV ratings were for this game. Because Big 12 after dark got off to a nice start. Uh, between BYU and Baylor in that late-night TV window. Well done, Cougar Nation. That was a great job by all of you at the game at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. That's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. I hope all of you enjoyed it. Make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, all major podcasting platforms. Follow me on Twitter, at Mitch underscore Harper. We'll be back on Tuesday with Rival Insiders. And then on Wednesday... Getting a check-in on the Oregon Ducks. BYU, quack, quack, quack. Mr. Dan Lanning. BYU and the Ducks, Saturday at 1.30. Get an early check-in on Wednesday. Here on the Cougar Tracks podcast, and it's always powered by kslsports.com. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. 
I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.